Now, I know that this may come as a surprise to many of you in this room, but I am a die-hard Chicago sports fan. I love the Chicago Cubs. There's, uh, at least there's one person with me. I feel good inside about that. Love the Cubs. Man, we had a great six-year run. And unfortunately, right now, we're kind of getting back to what we're used to, where we simply look at each other and say, well, wait till next year. We're going to get them next year. Um, we're, I have to ask my son all the time who all these players are that are out there because our team is gone. But I love the Cubs. I'm for them. Uh, I'm a huge Chicago Bears fan. Hey, we got a couple there that time. That's good. Um, I'm committed to the Bears. The Bulls. I love the Bulls. Blackhawks. I'm all a Blackhawks. Nothing there at all, right? Yeah. How about those Avs? They won it all. Uh, Blackhawks didn't, so you get it that. So, but you know, whenever we watch uh, these sports together, uh, Harris and I and Hudson, it, it's interesting. Some of these different commercials that come on. There was one that hit me that's, that was kind of it. Just the way they started it off. There was a man in a bathtub that was holding this jersey, and he was weeping over this jersey. And it was this player that no longer was committed to one franchise, but moved over to another. And I looked at my son Harrison, and I said, what is this all about? Like, is, he, is it just, what are they advertising? It's Fanatics, it's this jersey company you can go and buy. And he said, you know what, Dad, it's this thing you could buy for these jerseys, it's called Jersey Assurance. That if your player leaves, you can send your old jersey back, and they'll give you a new jersey for the new team. I got to tell you guys, there's something about that that really, it just bothers me. As a fan, I don't do that. Like, I'm committed. I'm committed to the Cubs. I don't care how bad they are. I'm committed to the Bulls, which really, since the 90s, have been really bad, okay? It's been rough. I don't, I don't go jump on the, the bandwagon of a new team. When we make any kind of commitment within our lives, there's, there's expected to be a behavior change. Now, you guys just had a certain player that made a transition, right? <laughs> All right? There's a new guy coming to town. Now, when, it, when, it, when I think about this, you know, you think about Seattle, what these fans felt about Russell Wilson. He was committed to their team, Right? Now, there's some of us probably that are, are pretty happy about this. Is there any Seahawks fans? We've got one right up front. That's great. You know what? My arm is, is I can't throw it past the first row, so this will really, really be effective. Okay, there you go. Now, when we, it, well, good. You know, it's a good way to, you know, we, we're all sympathizing with you, okay? But this guy, you know what he did? In my mind, he broke his commitment, right? I mean, that's what I feel. I, granted, he agreed to the trade. He wants to run and try to get a... I get all that. I mean, and a lot of these guys move for hundreds of millions of dollars. And if I was anybody offering, I, you know, I may. You know, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but whenever we make any kind of a commitment, we want people to stick Here's the new one, right? <laughs> We're getting pretty excited about that. 
Just think about this, though. If Russell Wilson got in the huddle in game one, he said, all right, boys, you know what? We're not going with the Denver Broncos playbook. I'm sticking with the Seahawks playbook. Would that work? No. That wouldn't work. Whenever we make any kind of a commitment, there should be changes in how we do life. Who wants this one? Oh, there's, there's a couple. There's a couple. All right. I'm, I'm actually, it's an extra large. So I'm going to knock this up and then we're just going to... Oh, it, I didn't even get it to anyone. So you, you've got it. So that's been my worst throw for all three hours. I mean, I must be exhausted. Okay. That is the farthest, though. I threw one last hour, and it was like, I'm like, this is, this is this pathetic. People should be making fun of me right now. <laughs> but when we make commitments, guys, there should be some type of decision to, to change our behavior. When you get married, you can't act like you were single. Right? <laughs> and if you are, you shouldn't anymore. There should be a behavior change. Think about for a new job. When you get a new job, how would it be if you came in and you told your boss at my last job, I was able to come in at this time, and so, hey, bud, that's what I'm going to do now. How would that go over? Nobody would like that. There has to be some type of behavior change. We've got a, a golden doodle, and his name is Murphy. Guys, he's crazy, Okay. Um, he's 70 pounds, and he's about this big. But when we made the commitment to get a dog, all of a sudden behavior change needed to happen on my part. This dog, all 70 pounds of him, I mean, he will not leave me alone in the morning until we go for a walk. I'm walking 35 to 40 minutes with him every day in the morning. That's not a bad thing for me, though, Okay. But I could never just get a, a dog and say, I'm not going to feed him. I'm not going to walk. There has to be behavior change. How about if you have a new baby? We had twins. That changed our life and the way we acted and behaved. You know, when you think about this, we're in this First Peter study. In First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, if you guys were not here last, last week, I would encourage you to watch the message so that you can continue to follow along with what's going on. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, do you guys, the main thought was this, that we need to live with great expectation. And what is it that we need to live with great expectation for? It's the gospel. Peter is writing, you know, we, some calm epistles, but letters to these churches, and these believers were enduring persecution within their life. They were living also in, a, in a, a pagan culture, a post-Christian culture. Think about that. Post-Christian culture, does that feel normal? It's kind of what we're experiencing now. You know, we wonder if the Bible is, is relevant to us today, and it is. These same words that Peter is saying, we can really apply to our lives. So he talks about this gospel, how Jesus came and he showed us grace. You know what grace is? This is the unmerited favor of God. We mess things up in Genesis chapter 3, and you could read about that, and that's the fall. But what did Jesus do? Before, uh, he, he had this plan set in place to send his son Jesus to die on the cross to save us. 
In those first 12 verses, Peter is saying, that's the gospel. That's what we need to be about. The gospel of Jesus Christ, because it transforms us in all things. He's moving on in these next few verses to tell us this. He's starting to say now, okay, because of the gospel, if you're committed and if you put on this jersey to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to begin to be obedient to the Holy Spirit within your life. That's what you have to start doing. We just talked about this. Nobody likes to see people who've made some type of a commitment to not follow through on behavior change. Now, you know what? Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, as soon as you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, he's living inside of you. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is there to, to give you the ability to change behaviors and to live differently. When we're talking about obedience, it's not that we do things to be made right by Christ. Everything with Jesus is all about a love relationship. That's why Peter started with the gospel. If we really understand what the gospel is and how much the God that loves us did for us, all of a sudden as we surrender our hearts and lives to him, we become followers of him. And we begin to say this. We say, you know what? I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be obedient to you. And he's going to help us to be able to do that. That's what these next few verses are about. When we look at these verses... This is our main thought for this weekend. It's this. As we have surrendered our hearts to Jesus Christ, and the spirit of the living God is living within us, Jesus wants a set-apart heart. Jesus wants a set-apart heart. Think about that. As you heard last week about the gospel and what we have to look forward to, and in, in, in what God is doing within our lives now, it's absolutely amazing. The fact that he's saved us and he's made us right from our sins. But there should be some behavior change that begins to happen within our lives. Because Jesus wants a set-apart heart. He doesn't want people who just put on the jersey of being a follower of Jesus in one particular situation and then when something else comes up, they take it off and they go and get involved in something that is contrary to who he is. He wants our hearts to be set apart. Is yours? Well, how do we do that? How do we have a set apart heart? Here's the thing. Scripture is so relevant to our lives. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, Peter begins to tell us how to do that. So go ahead and, and uh, open up uh, your Bible app on your phones. Uh, if you've got your Bible today, open up to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. We're going to read this. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children don't slip back into your ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't, uh, you didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. 
So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now, in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Well, if Jesus wants us to have a set-apart heart, how do we do it? First, I need to focus my mind on him. What we think really matters. I believe that our mindset really can affect our whole entire life. My youngest, uh, for a period of time, um, really um, was engaged in, in the Ninja Warrior stuff. And he's really chomping at the bit to get, get going in again and still does it in some different spots. But um, I don't know if you guys have ever watched that on NBC. Has anybody... Okay, I mean, a couple. Okay. I, you know what? I can't even see any of you, so I don't know why I asked for a hand. I'm like, I can't see a thing. Um, but, you know, he, he loves it. Now, it's interesting as you watch the, the Ninja Warrior competitions. These, these guys, these Ninja Warriors, as they start off this competition, I believe there's nothing within their minds that makes them think that they're not going to finish. They have this mindset that they're going to do it. Now, we signed Hudson up for a competition. Man, they're fun to watch on TV, but they're even more fun to watch when your kid's doing it. He's been practicing, doing all sorts of things, and, and he took off on this competition. It's timed. You've got a certain amount of time to go through all of these different obstacles. And he was doing good, and they have this one um, particular spot where there's these wood pegs that you literally you have to hold and lift out and put into the next thing to be able to go. And there's two of them so that you can go together. Well, he lost one. And so he was hanging there. And this clock was ticking. And I thought, you know what? As his dad, I am going to try to affect the way he thinks right now. So I went up to the mat. And I got down real low. And I started yelling as loud as I could. Do not give up. And you know, you could see his eyes are getting bigger. And I just didn't do it one time. I mean, 10 times, 15 times. Hudson, you can do it. Keep fighting. The whole entire gym is screaming and yelling for this kid. He's holding and he's swinging back and forth and he would not let up. Part of that was because he knew his dad was yelling at him down on the mat and screaming at him at the top of his lungs. 
And man, he fought almost all the way to the end of that clock. You know why I think that is? It's because of the, the mindset that he has. Yeah, that affects us. Do you know what scripture says? You guys were a part of a series. I watched it here and, and worshiped online with you about the mind. And Craig Crochelle wrote this book about um, the battlefield of the mind. But in Proverbs 23, 7, it says this, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What we think is what we become. I think what we need to know is this, is that there is a war that's waging within our minds there's an enemy who's dropping thoughts in there. And we need to know that we need to be pushing the attacks of the enemy out with God's word. Because as we think, so we will become. Peter knew that. He was talking to these followers of Christ that were living in this pagan culture and enduring persecution. Think about everything that was hitting their minds. All the reasons that they had to move away from the gospel, to get engaged in sin and, and to fall away from Jesus. And he told them this, because of the gospel, which you could see in those first 12 verses, he says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the grace of salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. What is he saying there? He's saying that we need to, on a daily basis, prepare our minds for action. What's our mindset? I was reading this book by J.D. Greer, and it's called The Gospel. He's a, a pastor, and he wrote about that. And he said, you know what? One of the things believers are forgetting is the power of the gospel and who they are in Jesus Christ. He said this, you know, there's three different attacks that the enemy drops within to our minds and our lives to forget about the gospel or those first 12 verses that Peter said. It's fear, shame, and guilt. He wants us to do everything that we can to forget about our identity in Jesus Christ, to focus on our situation, to focus on our past failures. Even this uh, past week, I was, of course, walking our golden doodle in the morning and I've begun to develop a relationship with a, a neighbor, and his name is John. It was unique to me because we started this conversation. He's got like a little Bichon, those little white dogs. I have a huge golden doodle. I'm usually very fearful that my dog will eat his. <laughs> and there's times that it seems like Murphy would enjoy to do nothing more. But we'll have conversations back and forth. And he began talking to me, and I'm like, hey, John, I said, how are you doing? And he paused for a minute. And he looked at me, and it wasn't the normal, quick, back and forth kind of conversation, talking, family, you know, those sorts of things. But there was a definite pause. And I could literally see in his mind, he was processing, like, should I say what I'm dealing with? And he looked at me, and he said, you know, it has not been a good week. I said, John, what, what's happening? He said, you know, just this past week, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. He said, all week long, I've been just really, you know, obviously researching that, trying to figure out how my life is going to change. And I looked at him and I said, you know what, man, I, I want to tell you, I'm going to commit to pray for you. I'm going to commit to pray that God will bring healing 
into your life and give you peace in the midst of this. He looked at me and he said, you know what, man, I think that's probably a pretty good idea. I think your prayers are going to be a lot more effective than mine right now. He really was thinking this, because of being diagnosed with Parkinson's, there was this fear that he was dealing with, that God somehow had forgotten him, that he wasn't there anymore. You know, the enemy drops those types of attacks within our lives and within our hearts. You know what we need to realize is we need to combat those. We need to prepare our minds for action. Remember the gospel. Remember the fact of who we are in Christ. A couple other things that he uses are shame and guilt. Have you been there? I have. Sometimes we begin to start thinking about our failures and the things that we haven't done that are right. And the enemy tells us there's no way that the God that created you would ever want to listen to your prayers. He knows what you did. You know what that is? That is a lie from the enemy. What Peter is saying is this. He said, prepare your minds for action. Remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Because as you remember who you are in Christ, all of a sudden, you'll be able to allow the power of the gospel to settle into your life and give you peace. Neil Anderson, a writer, talked about this. Peter, <clears throat> even though in chapter 2 he says this, in this, as we become followers of Jesus, do you know this is who we are? This should excite us. This should encourage us. And this is the word of God to us, that when we are attacked by these things of fear, shame, and guilt, we need to look at these verses and drop them back into our hearts and say, I can endure. I can keep going. I can keep being a follower of Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 9 says, but you are not like that. This is Peter. For you are a chosen people. That is you. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. The God that created everything is telling you that today. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Peter is saying, prepare your mind for action. Know that as you have surrendered your heart to Christ, you're a part of his family. What does that mean? That means every day I get up and I say, I'm accepted in Christ. Even though the enemy may throw guilt and shame at me, what can I say? I'm accepted in him. Neil Anderson wrote this book uh, about who we are in Christ. He's a great writer. And just because he said, I don't, I don't believe that, you know, believers really understand that. Scripture, God's word speaks to us about being accepted in Christ. You could find these verses where it says, I'm God's child. I'm Christ's friend. I have been justified. I'm united with the Lord and one with him in spirit. I've been bought with a price and I belong to him. If I'm going to prepare my mind for action, I need to know that I'm secure in Christ. I'm always a part of his family as soon as I've committed my life to him. I'm free forever from condemnation. I cannot be separated from the love of God. 
I'm hidden with Christ in God. I'm confident that the good work that God has begun in me will be perfected. You know what? Every morning when I get up and I prepare my mind for action, as Peter's saying, is this, I need to know that I'm significant in Christ. You know what? That's a pretty big attack of the enemy. Self-worth. He is really good at attempting to destroy us from believing that we are God's creation and he has a plan for us and a purpose for us. In Ephesians 2.10, it talks about the fact that God has good works for you to do, to further his kingdom. You are significant. That's one of the beauties of the local church when all these believers get together and use their gifts and start working together to minister to each other in the community. It explodes because that's those first 12 verses of chapter 1. That's the gospel coming to life. When you look at the book of Acts and you see how the church grew, that's why. Because believers understood and knew that they were significant in Christ and the Holy Spirit began to use them and it began to spread Despite opposition, if you were to look through Scripture, it says, I am the salt and the light of the earth. I'm a branch of the true vine. Ephesians 2.10, I am God's workmanship. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If we're to continue to endure through persecution, through difficulties, through living in a post-Christian culture, we need to prepare our minds for action on a daily basis. Because I want to tell you this, the enemy is trying to pull you slowly away. He's deceptive. And he works within our minds. And he knows just how to attack us. And Peter's saying, remember the gospel. Remember who you are in Christ. Because when opposition comes, you're going to be able to keep your heart aligned to Jesus if you do it. Second thing that I need to do in order to be able to align my heart to Jesus is I need to align my actions with him. I need to align my actions with him. The Spirit of God is speaking within us. He's asking us if we're going to be obedient. Are we going to align our actions with him? We can control our behavior. The same power, we talked about this, that rose Jesus from the dead lives within us. And he's empowering us to be able to live as we're called to live. Peter says in verse 14, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better, but this is big. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. What does that mean? If you were to look in the book of Leviticus and several spots throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, you'll see this phrase, be holy for I am holy. I was asking Harrison on the way out here, I said, man, what, is, what do you think that means, like to be holy? He said, well, to be like God. If you were to look at, at the meaning of what that word holy is, it means literally to be set apart, to be different. If we're to be followers of Jesus and we put on that jersey within our lives, we should be living differently because the Spirit of God is working in us and empowering us to do more than we could ever think or imagine. 
There's really two aspects of holiness. There's two. When we think about this idea of being set apart, we need to be set apart from the things of the world. There was an evangelist by the name of Billy Sunday in the 1900s. And he was talking about this idea of being set apart from the things of this world. And he had made a commitment within his life to fight against sin with everything that he had. Listen to what he said. And this is the mentality that we need to have. Listen, I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head. And I'll bite it as long as I've got teeth. And when I'm old, fistless, footless, and toothless, I'll gum it <laughs> till I go home to glory and it goes home to perdition. What is he saying? He's going to fight for holiness. He's going to fight for what's right. He's going to push against sin with everything that he has. You know, when we think about this, it's unfortunate because three in four U.S. Protestant pastors find that apathy or lack of commitment is a challenge that they're facing within their congregation. You know why? Because I think that there's, there's people that are, are wearing these jerseys that say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, and their life looks no different than people that don't. So as, Paul, as Peter is saying this, be holy for I am holy, He's saying, be obedient to the Spirit of God speaking to your life. You know, remember the gospel. This whole relationship with Jesus, it's really based, it's a love relationship. As we look at what the God that created us has done for us, our, our only act is to surrender our lives to Him and to be all out focused on Him and to be a follower for Him. Think about that. Within your private world, that spot within your world that nobody sees, how are you doing? Think about this. Scripture is giving you guidelines for how to live your life. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you within your life. Are you being obedient to him? Are you fighting sin as much as, as Billy Sunday said that we should? Do you detest it and push it away and say, man, I, I, I don't want it. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to have that jersey on and be committed to him. That's what Peter is saying. He's saying there's no place within your lives that you should allow sin to rest. In your public world that everybody sees, are you living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus? I want to tell you guys, you in this room with the sphere of influence that you have, the relationships you have, the people that you're with, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, look at me. You're God's plan to let them know about him. That should be something that excites us, but it also means that we should be living holy lives because people are watching you. If you're a follower of Jesus, they're watching everything that you do. And what Peter is saying here is be holy. Push your life away from sin. Pattern your life after Jesus Christ. Not only are we supposed to be set apart from, but we're supposed to be set apart too. We should be dedicated to righteous living within our lives.
That's in our digital world and our everyday world. Listen to what he says in verse 22. He says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So what now? You must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your hearts. You ever thought about that? What does the Spirit produce within our life? The Holy Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Think about that. Love. If we're supposed to be set apart to living out, being the hands and feet of Jesus, to be holy for God is holy. You know what he's saying? He says we need to live that out. The Spirit's producing that in our lives if we surrendered our hearts to him. So this is maybe when it gets tough. In that digital world, and, and here's the thing. Let's be honest. What we're doing digitally on social matters just as much as what we're doing in our everyday world face-to-face -face with people. Both are a re representation of who we are. For some reason, you know what, we think like, when we're behind a keyboard and we have a screen, like, whoa, I've got, I just got freedom to do whatever I want. What Peter is saying here is this, if it's in your digital world or your everyday world, live out the love of Christ. Now, I know this can get pretty tough. When you're on your HOA page, that Facebook page, and you see some neighbors that are posting stuff on there, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, there's nothing that I would rather do than to set them right. <laughs> and man, you type up the most wonderful comment to be able to correct the errors that you're seeing. Hit delete. It's not going to do any good. Scripture tells us to be holy for I'm holy. That means we're being set apart to live as Jesus in people's lives. We have to do that. Peace. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Are you bringing peace into the midst of situations where there's turmoil? That's what we're being called to do as followers of Jesus. Joy. Are you a person that's bringing joy into situations? You're so excited because of the joy of what Christ has done within your life. You can't contain it. That's what those verses are saying. Jesus wants a set-apart heart. As we stand upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what he wants. How do we do this? Focus my mind on him and align my actions with him. In Nashville, there's a, a store. It's called McKay's. And uh, just recently, we as a, a family went to McKay's. Um, I'm... I'm pretty much cheap, like really cheap when it comes to game systems. Um, my oldest son Harrison and Hudson both love gaming, but you probably haven't heard of a lot of people that still have this system, but we have an Xbox 360. <laughs> I know that came out a long time ago, but here's the thing. I don't, I don't want to pay a lot for these games and pay monthly, so I'm like, we're just going to go with it. Well, I've begun to encounter a problem, though, because we, as, as we go to local GameStops, they, they don't have Xbox 360 games. When you go into those stores and you're like, hey, you got an Xbox 360 section? Just try it. Go out and try it and see what they say. They, they'll look at you like, moron. You know, like, when, when did that come out in the 90s, you know? 
I'm like, yeah, it did. It did, man. I'm proud of it. Well, my wife and um, our youngest son, Hudson, were, were in a store in Nashville, and this guy said, Here, here's the deal. You got to go to this place called McKay's. Now, if you ever go to Nashville, you need to go check out McKay's. I mean, okay, there's Broadway, Grand Ole Opry. There's a lot bigger things than McKay's because it's basically just a used bookstore, but it was pretty cool to me. Because when we went into McKay's, it was literally like I stepped back into the 90s. I mean, there was CDs and racks. I'm like, I haven't seen this in 20 years. It's like a walk down memory lane. Well, my son, he found like the mother load of Xbox 360 games. It's like the angels were singing like, you know, like he was so fired up. He's finding these games. My oldest is a reader and he went and he found this book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was talking about this passage of scripture in Matthew chapter five. And this is a little bit about really what we've been talking about today. Jesus came. And he said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isn't that beautiful? You know what that means? The rule and reign of Jesus Christ has begun. He said this. He said, I've come to make all things right. The brokenness that you feel the shame that you're experiencing. I love you. And I'm here. And I've defeated hell and darkness and I've pushed it back. So repent and join me. And we'll spend eternity together. Isn't that beautiful? If you've never experienced that, I would tell you, come up and connect with somebody after service and say, man, I just want to give my heart to Jesus. And they'll help you. And they've got an immense amount of resources here. Well, I read this quote from Bonhoeffer who was looking at this passage in Matthew chapter five, and it hit me. And I've, I've been talking about it with a lot, with all the groups that I'm with at church and People are hearing, a lot, hearing it a lot. He said this. Think about this. Because even within this passage, after he says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he said, now you who are followers, you will be the salt and you will be the light of the world. You're my plan to let people know about who I am. Bonhoeffer says this. He says, you are the salt. Not you should be the salt. The disciples are given no choice whether they want to be the salt or not. No appeal is made to them to become salt of the earth. Rather, they are salt whether they want to be or not. You are the salt. It would diminish the meaning of equating the disciples' message with salt as the reformers did. What it means is their whole existence to the extent that is newly grounded in Christ's call to discipleship, that existence which the Beatitudes speak, all those who follow Jesus' call to discipleship are made by the call to be the salt of the earth in their whole existence. Guys, here's the part that hit me. Think about this. You got the gospel in the first 12 verses. The next thing is he's saying, align your heart with Christ. I don't want this. Bonhoeffer said this. The other possibility, of course, is that salt loses its taste 
that it stops being so, it ceases to be effective, then it really is no longer good for anything except to be thrown away. Guys, we don't want that. We can't have that. Because there's people in this community that are dependent upon this church being the salt and being the light. You know what? We all need to know that God has an incredible plan to use us to be able to impact this community in this valley for Jesus Christ. And I know that I don't ever want to lose my saltiness. I don't ever want to be a light. Because there's going to be a day where I'm going to be held accountable. I want to be obedient to the Spirit of God within me to speak into people's lives, to proclaim the gospel. Because when we do that, we have purpose. We have meaning. Because we are God's plan to be used by him, to be his hands and feet in the lives of people. No matter how much of a post-Christian culture we're living in, no matter what we face, here's the thing. I'm going to stand right here today and say, I am committed to follow Jesus with everything that I have. I'm going to align my heart with him. I'm going to prepare my mind for action. I'm going to live a holy life. Because I want to make heaven a crowded place. And I know walking in to Plum Creek, there are signs up that say the best is yet to come. Do you believe that? Here's the thing. It happens when we live out scripture. Where we embrace the gospel. Where we align our hearts with Jesus. All of a sudden, incredible things will start to happen. He's going to use you. And you're going to be faithful. You're going to follow him. Because eternity weighs in the balance. So I want all of you in this room right now to stand up with me. And we're going to sing a song about standing on the firm foundation that we have in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to pray for you. That each and every one of you will be faithful to the end. Because as you are. You'll be investing in eternity, and I promise you, you will never, ever regret it. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. God, I thank you for each and every person that is here in this room, and all of those that are worshiping online. I thank you, Father, for their commitment today, even standing in this place, to say, God, no matter what happens, no matter what I experience, I am going to stand upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to prepare my mind for action on a daily basis. I'm going to remember who I am in Christ and that I am significant. That you have a plan for me. And God, I'm going to live a holy life because I want to make heaven a crowded place. And I long for the day, God... When I'll be able to stand before you and each person in this room and we all will be there. And we'll hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Help us to persevere. Help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.